0: Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today, I want to start out with a question. Have you ever had something really horrible happen in your life? And you came to the understanding that your story could go one of two ways. You could hide, wallow, wear the cloak of victimhood, lose yourself into sadness or the self-loathing or embarrassment or whatever emotion was kicking your ass at the time. Or you could write a life story with a resilient main character. Now, when I talk about this, I know it sounds a little flippant as if doing this is easy and you have to do it to be successful and to be a real strong person, but the truth is that it's anything but easy. It's the space where the battle is waged in our hearts and minds, but the outcome is what determines if our story is a tragedy or a comedy, an inspirational how-to. That crossroads is a crucial space in all stories. Today, my guest is Christine McAllister, a woman who gave birth to a full term, stillborn daughter and stood staring at this very crossroads. I would have much rather died, she said to me. Stay tuned for her story and struggle at the crossroads, and let's get some inspiration for our own struggle at those crossroads. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee. And I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Christine McAllister, her husband, and rainbow baby, Fiora, live with their two rescue dogs near their Arabian horses in Louisville, Kentucky. She is a lover of books and stories and an entrepreneur, business coach, and the author of the number one bestseller, The Income Replacement Formula, Seven Simple Steps to Doing What You Love and Making Six Figures from Anywhere. She is an expert on turning tragedy into triumph, and she founded her company, Life with Passion, after the full-term stillbirth of her first daughter, Maeve. She's been featured in Inc., Business Insider, The Huffington Post, and Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. She is a big self-knowledge junkie, and she helps high achievers all over the world to replace their incomes and ditch their nine-to-fives by building businesses out of their passions. And this business of helping people do this came from her decisions at that crossroads. Christine, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Let's get into your story. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. When we hop into your story, let's first set up as a character who you were before the stillborn birth of your daughter.
1: So I was a high achiever. That's always been true. I've always been and was then a driven, ambitious, sensitive, intuitive, (laughs) people-pleasing Perfectionist. (laughs) And I had big dreams. I've always had big dreams. And I also had a hefty dose of fear and self doubt that managed to keep those big dreams just dreams, just far off wishes and hopes. I'd accomplished a lot in my life from the outside anyone would say that. I've done a ton of different things and had some incredible, amazing experiences throughout my life. Like what? Well, I have always been an animal lover. And so I grew up loving dogs and horses particularly and owning neither. So I found ways to include them in my life on an ad hoc basis as much as possible. I raised a service dog when I was in high school, which was... The only way I could figure out how to have a dog, but also get to help people at the same time. And I took a riding lesson here and there. I was never able to do that consistently. I became an, a horse owner for the first time when I got out of grad school as an adult. Sort of one of my first adult moves was owning a horse and grew that to a small herd of 7 rare Arabian horses. And so that was something that I was very proud of figuring out how to do on my own. I became a professor right out of grad school and have worked in broadcasting at 3 Olympic Games. I have started 4 successful businesses and have had the opportunity to travel the world. And so as you can tell, those are a lot of different (laughs) highlights of things I've done in my young and early adult life and some of the things that I'm proud of.
0: So when this happened, when your daughter was stillborn, what did this change for you and what was that experience like?
1: I believe it really shattered my paradigm of what I expected of life and from life and what I thought life was supposed to be and the natural order of things that I had grown comfortable expecting.
0: So you're standing in this crossroads of something really horrible happening. And when did it dawn on you that you had a choice to move down one road or the other?
1: I think as I began to use, oh, probably a strength slash weakness that I have and do all the time which is constantly like examining myself thinking about you know how I'm perceived in the world thinking about how others think of me thinking about how I think about myself right <laughs> meta thinking about thinking i realized that i was going to go home from that hospital with a different identity mm. so i was going to go home the mother of a dead baby everybody knew i was pregnant i was 9 months pregnant and so there was not going to be any suffering and silence about this. I had had two baby showers three days before giving birth. So it was public. It was on social media. We had done all the announcing, even though we waited until after the first trimester, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? That's when it's safe. So we had done everything right. Everything was ready. And now I was going home to an empty house and an empty nursery. And a process of figuring out how to redefine myself and redefine all of the relationships in my life and pick up these pieces and go, how oh, they don't really fit together the way they did before. Because no way can you go through that kind of trauma and have your world turned upside down without being changed in the process.
0: Absolutely. Do you mind taking us into that story of what that was like, of your experience with going in, expecting you know to give birth to your daughter and then the process that unfolded?
1: Actually, what had happened was... I was going in for a routine doctor appointment as you do quite often at the end of a pregnancy to be checked, to be monitored and they couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. And I had no indication that anything was wrong before that. And so it could not have been more shocking. My husband happened to be with me and they put me on an ultrasound machine to see what was going on. Because at that point, when you have a several pound baby It's not a matter of needing to search around for a heartbeat, like is true often in early pregnancy. So put me on the ultrasound, which was the next step to take a visual look and no movement, no heartbeat. That began a process of making sure the machine wasn't broken and sending me to another place to be confirmed because this doesn't happen.
0: Were you dying this whole time, like with stress? Or did you just think their stuff was malfunctioning?
1: No, I knew. I knew as soon as they couldn't find the heartbeat that she was gone. I didn't know she was a she at that point. We were waiting to be surprised. It was our first baby. We were doing all the, you know, I was planning a natural birth. And was just, I think, naively going into this experience.
0: Sure. There's no other way to go into it.
1: <laughs> well, that's very true. <laughs> so I tend to react later in stressful situations. I tend to kind of go within and be numb. My husband tends to be more immediately responsive and emotional, but he had the job of sort of handling all of the things that I couldn't handle while I'm laying on a table being the patient, right? So making the calls, letting other people know, coordinating what we need to do to get me admitted to the hospital... Letting our parents know what was happening so that they could make trips in, like that kind of thing,
0: so when did it hit you, and what was your emotional experience?
1: I remember lying on the table and just kind of going into a tunnel as the doctor, the nurse and my husband talked about things and going, "Yep, this is happening, and beginning to integrate that into my being and also not having any conscious idea what that meant or what the next step was going to be. It was just very in the moment. And I think when we left the doctor's office, they ushered us graciously out a side door, like an emergency exit so we didn't have to go back through the waiting room full of all the happy pregnant people. And we got in the car and we had like over an hour drive to the hospital. And during that drive is when I broke down and started crying and just began to process what was going on and the reality of having this sudden, sudden change in, in fortune and in outcome in what the next days and weeks were supposed to look like in my life.
0: Was there fear? What were the thoughts? Was there just deep sadness? What did the crossroads look like? Well, you're not even at the crossroads yet. You're in the middle of the shock and the trauma.
1: Yeah, it was very confusing. I was turtling up in a way, like I can remember getting to the sort of the secondary doctor's office who was going to admit us to the hospital and they had stayed open late for us. So we went into an empty waiting room and it was evening. They had stayed open late. And I remember walking in in my sunglasses, like that was self-protective for me and not being willing to make eye contact with anyone I didn't know really well and going into this dark room. And I remember the doctor doing another ultrasound and giving us a little, you know, his canned, understandably, comfort, speech of comfort. And I just knew that in that moment, I didn't know. And I had to figure out how to survive. Other people were emotional. By that point, even like even the doctors and nurses, God bless them. I wasn't. I was just like, Tell me what to do. Tell me what the next steps are. I got to figure out how to make it through this because I couldn't fathom having to deliver this baby. And I said to them, I want you to just knock me out and wake me up when it's over. Like I'm not doing this. This thing that I prepared for and with all this thought in mind about what do I feel is best for the baby? What do I feel is best for my body? Now it was like, that was all moot. What was the point? right? And so as they explained to me that we could do that, but It's important for you to be present so that you can grieve and have closure. So we don't recommend it. Then I thought, oh my gosh, the next however long this is going to take is going to be an absolute nightmare. And I have no frame of reference for how to convince myself to go through something so horrific and painful and traumatic, knowing that there's no prize on the other side of this.
0: You know, I think it's interesting that you say frame of reference, because one of the roles that stories play for us is that we learn how to do things by the stories of others. But nobody, especially when you're pregnant, goes into any type of a story of how you deliver a stillborn child. That would be depressing and horrible. So I'm sure anyone dealing with this who hasn't had to deal with it before is going into it with no frame of reference, which is a very, wow, that's got to be a crazy place.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's interesting because people aren't afraid to share their traumatic birth stories or how they had some physical, you know, issue or complication, how terrible this part of pregnancy or labor or whatever is. But it's always kind of with that, oh, yeah, me too, kind of frame. It's never this part of it. And to the point where I didn't even know that this could happen, I didn't know that in that. Fully healthy pregnancy in a first world country where I had done everything right, this could happen at the end of a pregnancy. The baby could just pass away and there's no reason.
0: Did they find out? Did they know what killed her?
1: No. And not for lack of trying. And they told me because it wasn't obvious when she was born what had gone wrong. They said, we probably won't find out and we don't 50% of the time. How did that make you feel? Mixed. Because if it had been something I could have done, it would be more reason to blame myself or for others to judge and blame me. There was a way in which I was relieved that there was nothing I could have done differently. Of course, you know, my subsequent pregnancy, I was treated very differently and told that perhaps if I'd been monitored high risk with Mave, they might have caught something maybe she stopped growing or something. But that's not protocol for a healthy pregnancy. And so that's not how I was treated. I mean, I think really, to be honest, the sense of relief was more overwhelming than anything else. I think maybe for my husband, that wasn't the case. Like he wanted a reason, he wanted something to blame or someone to blame. But I was just, I was grateful because I had been anxious in pregnancy anyway that I didn't have a, another reason to beat myself up.
0: Sure. How did the birth go?
1: Well, I mean, you can imagine it was very difficult. And obviously there's a way in which I use humor intentionally to deal with all of this, right? Because it's a horrific experience and tragedy that like most people can't imagine and I'm glad they can't, right? But I think that it's part of my way of coping not to avoid it, but you know, dark humor, right? So just to put that out there.
0: Like I said earlier, in one of our conversations, you said I would have much rather died than have to go through this. And- That, that gives us a peek into the level of emotional trauma that this was for you. And, you know, often when we're retelling our stories and we're telling them in hindsight, it becomes sort of this bullet point list of I went through this and I felt this and, you know, and it was this. But the reality of it is so much more intense than probably what you're able to even share.
1: percent right? And there's PTSD wrapped up in all of this too. But I would say that the birth went as well as it could go because I was surrounded by a trained, compassionate team of people, some of whom I had walked with through the pregnancy journey and chose to stay with me, even though at their own emotional expense, because <laughs> this is the hardest thing they deal with, right? They get into this because they love babies and then they have to walk through losing, you know, not just one, but many of it, right? Statistically. So I think that like there was a a lot of waiting in the process because my body wasn't ready. So it wasn't just, oh, let's start contractions and get this baby out of there. It was, there was a lot of other physical prep that had to be done and just waiting knowing, okay, we got to do this stage and it's probably going to take 12 to 18 hours. And then we have to, you know, start contractions and induce and that we don't know how long that's going to take because this is my first baby and my water didn't want to break and then she didn't physically want to come out and so there were some tense moments because I had been planning this natural birth and of course that didn't happen but I really wanted to avoid a c-section if possible and I want to go home recovering from abdominal surgery also recovering from (laughs) delivering a dead baby and so I was grateful that these people did their best to honor my wishes, even though it might've been easier to make a different decision. But I was very much in that tunnel focus of the physicality of labor. And I have to pull myself together and go inward in order to actually do this thing, as opposed to processing a lot of what was happening. Whereas like my mom who was there, my husband who were there, they were much more present to the grief. They were thinking about things. I only became like, I went in and out of that. I was handed a brochure on basically how to, how to plan a funeral for your baby. And looking at that, I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is not anywhere on my radar. Right. And I don't want to go home from this and plan a funeral. So we wound up having a chaplain come in and do a service in the room with the people who are there. And that was very emotional for me as well. Like I think music is a really powerful connector for me. And so like singing a couple of, you know, of songs that we had picked out, that was really hard. And I kind of couldn't, right? I had to like quit halfway through. But I think that knowing that the focus for me was being the patient and doing this thing, I had a goal that nobody else in that room really had. I had to get this baby out, right? Like I had this job. And so probably for better and worse, it distracted me in a way from processing what I was actually doing.
0: So when did the processing start for you? Was this after you got home or?
1: I think so. I think there was still so much shock that even though there was an opportunity to You know, meet her and hold her and take pictures with her. I was kind of woozy from the drugs and woozy from the delivery. And so I didn't spend that much time with her. So getting home and kind of going, now what? That was, I think, when I really gave myself permission to go, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you, Christine. Like, you haven't been without your struggles. (laughs) But, you know, I think to that point, I had always judged myself. Like I had a good upbringing, great parents, a lot of opportunity, a lot of privilege. And so I had really criticized myself for having any issues at all. And, well, you know, people ask you to tell your story or what did the big turning point. But I was like, it's been pretty good. But also I've struggled with things like anxiety and depression. And I feel bad about that. Right. <laughs> Which, of course, makes those things worse. <laughs> so when I... Came home, I went, no, this is a legit bad thing to happen in your life. Like, that was the story I began telling myself. And this is a legit, like, people do not get back out of bed after going through something like this. This is life ruining. It has the potential to be. And so it's important for you, even if I had to tell myself a little bit, it's important for you, Christine, to process this. It's important to let yourself grieve. It's important to stop taking care of everyone else and worrying about what everyone else wants in this and be. Freaking in it, and so I did.
0: Isn't that interesting that you were just self-aware enough to be able to say, "Okay, this is what I need to do from the <laughs> beginning, automatically to deal with it." That's that's great.
1: Well, that introspection, right? It's uh, it's always running, and like I'm an INFJ on the Myers Briggs. If anybody else is a geek about personality, and I think that's that's one of the biggest traits that we have is we're always processing, always introspecting, and. Strength and weakness.
0: One of the things that you do is that you teach people to reframe their story to one of resilience. How do you do this?
1: I personally believe that we've all been through something harder than what I help people to do, which is start a business. And so I think that so often what happens is we're doing something that's unfamiliar, starting a business, this is my example. And so the fear can feel really overwhelming because simply because it's new and that's the way that our brains respond, right? But for me personally, the the way that I realized that this could be a strategy is that I am never gonna go through anything worse than having a dead baby, never. All the things that used to scare me, all the people I used to worry about judging me, screw them, they haven't been through this, right? So when it comes to helping people, I really like to dig into their story because there's always something there that they've survived that if they can choose to be proud of that, and recognize that they're already a badass because they survived this thing, then the confidence that gives them to take the next step in business building or whatever they need to do in their life can become unshakable because it doesn't define you in a victim way anymore. It defines you in an empowered way.
0: I really like that. And I find it interesting and lovely that you take the personal story, capitalize on the rough spaces, saying, if you can get through this, you can do this next step and create this next thing that you want to create and transition it just into simple professional creation. That's great. That's really interesting and powerful link.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, I think there's a lot of talk about like, Remind yourself how awesome you are and all your accomplishments. And hey, I'll be the first to raise my hand like I'm a high achiever. I love that stuff. But our brains already have a negativity bias, right? So we're often telling ourselves these stories about why we can't because of a traumatic relationship or why we can't because of our childhood or we can't because of this experience or that experience. And none of those things are small. I don't mean to minimize them.
0: No, but actually what you're saying is just the opposite of that. Those are the reasons we can, not the reasons we can't.
1: Exactly. And we're thinking about it all the time, right? What if we tell ourselves, well, that was way harder than putting a post on Facebook. That was way harder than doing this next thing that I need to do. And I've already done that. So that resilience is already there.
0: Love it. That's a great perspective and a great shift into using your story to create forward momentum for your story moving forward.
1: Yes. Anything that you want to create, right? You've already... You're here, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a great parent loss or infant and pregnancy loss magazine. The title of it is Still Standing. And obviously, it plays on stillbirth and all of this. But like, literally, we're still here. We're still standing right? So we get to choose what we do with that because it didn't, in fact, kill us.
0: Well, and that specifically is dealing with this space of the crossroads we've been talking about, which is we're still standing and which road do we want to walk down? Do we want to stay in the space of I can't do future things because this happened to me or I can do future things specifically because this happened to me? Love that. So as we move forward, those of us listening and yourself, after these tough spaces... How do we overcome the fear and the self-doubt to take that action? Like what coaching tools do you use? Do you have a specific one or two that you could share?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things that I like to do tangibly is to create what I call a confidence resume. And that is where you do list your accomplishments and your overcoming, your struggles that you've overcome. And you read that back to yourself, right? I mean, probably a lot of us have heard things like, mirror work from Louise Hay or writing I Am Enough on your mirror from Marissa Peer. But I think that in terms of, and this so aligns with what you do, like owning and loving your story, let's look at what the specifics are that make you enough.
0: I so much love that. I want to make that the challenge for this week then. I try to put a challenge out most weeks on the podcast. And so the challenge this week is make yourself that badass resume. Sit down and write a list of the things that you have made it through, the tough stuff that you're still standing from, and let that support you in creating your superhero persona of, I can do hard things and I can move forward because of what I've learned and how I've already weathered the rough spaces.
1: Yes. And wherever you're putting it, tag me. <laughs> Love that. Love that. I want to see them. I want to see them and I want to cheer you on. Okay. So that
0: brings me to you know concluding thoughts. Where can they find you and what are your tags if they wanted to work with you?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at LifeWPassion. And if you want... To check out sort of my methodology, the framework that I work with, and you can grab a free chapter of the book at lifewithpassion.com freechapter free chapter. It also delves more into my story of losing Maeve and turning tragedy into triumph, why I do all of this. And I would love if you post your confidence resume, use the hashtag confidence resume if it's over on Instagram or just tag me straight up so that I can come and check you out.
0: I like the confidence resume. That's a a great idea.
1: Thank you. Let's spread it around. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, so any closing advice before we sign off?
1: One of the quotes that really helped me frame this all up is from Charles Swindoll. To paraphrase it, 90% of life is what I choose to do with the 10% that happens to me. That helped me, has helped me, continues to help me make sense of and empower the the choices that I get to make now, given my past and given what I want to create in the future, that it really, really is up to me and the way that I choose to look at things. And so it's a much longer quote, but that's the essence of it. And I think if you remember that 90% is what you choose to make the 10% that's happened to you, that alone can change your life.
0: Love it. Love it. Thank you, Christine, for being here today, for sharing your story, the things you've learned, and the tips for being able to choose the healthiest road, the resilient road at that crossroads. Thank you so much for having me. Walt Whitman said, and I've been using this quote at the end of a number of podcasts now, because I think it always bears coming back to... Quote, happiness is not in another place, but this place, not for another hour, but this hour. What story can you reframe, if it were possible to reframe it, where you would shift from that place of victim to resilient hero or heroine? Share this episode with someone who could use it today. And don't forget that you can find my book, Life, Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, on either Amazon or on the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com. And we will see you next week on our next fabulous episode of Love Your Story Podcast.